0: The goal of the Christian life. If you are a Christian, the goal of the Christian life is for you to be all in. For you to know that Jesus Christ has come and he has lived and he has died and he has given himself so that you can have a relationship with the God of the universe. And when you truly know this, when you truly have a relationship with Jesus. It bids us to come to him with everything that we are and all that we have. As we've been looking at the gospel of Mark, Mark, Mark put it this way. Jesus put it this way, and it's recorded in the gospel of Mark. Deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow him. And as we've gone through the book of Mark, we talked about what a joy and a pleasure and an adventure that that is. And so for you as a Christian, if you are a child of the king, this is our call. This is our purpose. And so when we come and we gather here this morning as believers or when we gather as the church, that it is all of God's people giving all that they are for the purpose of the gospel and God's word going to all nations but also for the building up of one another for God's work in His kingdom. But that's not always how it happens, is it? Probably all of us have heard of this thing called the 80-20 rule, where 20% of the people do 80% of the work. Today we are talking about giving. I know I'm already making some of you feel guilty. (laughs) And at SNBC, we talk a lot about when we talk about giving, we use the words time, talent, and treasure. And for many organizations, for many churches, for many groups, that whole 80 20 principle holds true that a small number of people carry the load or do the work for the many. One pastor, his name's Ray Stedman, and I'm going to butcher this quote a little bit, but you'll get the picture of it. He said, it's, it's talking about this, he said, it's like being at a football game and you have 22 players on the field that are wearing themselves out and just need a break. And you have 60,000 people in the fan in the stadium who need exercise. <laughs> Months ago, as we were talking as elders on what book to do next, we've just finished Mark, we're. We're going to do James. We're going to start that in a couple weeks. One of the things that the elders asked me to do in the meantime was to speak on giving. And so that's what we are doing today. And probably over the life of the church, there's probably only been a handful of times that the sermon is just about giving. You know, we handle it as it pops up in the text. But this is an important subject now. As I said a minute ago, some of you are already feeling guilty, and so there's kind of two opposite reactions to this. One is just go ahead and pass the plates, Lewis. Let me alleviate this guilt. You know, I told I told Joe earlier he just needed to add a zero to his tithe check and we'd be okay. He's Others are already angry. Oh, he's stomping on my toes before I've even said anything. One time, I had a, a, a good. I had a friend that was uh, at a church where I was um, a pastor. And um, at that church, and like this church, as pastors, we don't know what you give. We don't see the numbers. We don't see who gives what. I thought I was being funny one day. I had called my friend. He had not answered. He called me back. And he said, did you need something? I said, yeah. Hey, listen, I've been at the church reviewing your giving, and we need to talk. An immediate, bad joke, I know, awful, I've learned my lesson, I was young, and he immediately was like, oh, I know, and I was like, oh, don't, I don't know what you give or don't give, like, that's between you and the Lord, but immediately he felt guilty, and then I felt guilty for my bad joke, here's a secret, and we know this. God doesn't need your money. God doesn't need your money. We can't even fathom the goodness and the greatness of God, and we can't even begin to ascertain the wealth of God. God doesn't need your money. I heard a sermon one time about five or six years ago from a... uh, I'm trying to be nice here a person parading as a pastor. And the point of the sermon was this. God can't do it without you. That God can't work in time and in space, and God needs your money. He needs your time and he needs your talent because God can't operate in this physical space. And if you don't do it, it won't get done. And I don't serve that God. I serve the God of the Bible, who is sovereign, he is present. He is all powerful and he interacts with us. He owns it all. He doesn't need you. He doesn't need your time. He doesn't need your talent and he doesn't need your treasure. And so you may be asking, "Okay, Lewis, then why give? Good question. One of the main reasons I believe that God bids us, calls us, into this joy of giving. Is because it's helpful for us. It's helpful for us. First Timothy 610 tells us this, that the love of money is the root of all evil. Not having money, but the love of money is the root of all evil. Jesus says that it's hard for a rich person to get to heaven. Not because rich people can't go to heaven. But what the Bible tells us over and over and over again, that the draw of this world is the draw to put Lewis at the center. And if Lewis is at the center, the draw of that is the love of money and the things of this world come to take first place in my life. And that is destructive. It's destructive because it pulls me away from God and what he has for me. And it's destructive because I wasn't created for those lesser joys. The treasure of having God and knowing who he is and communing with him. Is way above. any kind of earthly treasure or amount of money that you could put on the other side of the scale. And so this call to give. This pattern of life that we see all throughout the Bible where God's people are a giving people that one of the things that God is doing through this is loving us. So that we don't destroy ourselves. By focusing on this stuff. Last week, it seems like weeks and weeks ago now, actually two weeks ago, we had VBS at the church. There were a lot of fantastic things that were going on. And one of the things that I'm always blown away by is your generosity. You know, the VBS costs costs money to put on. VBS takes a lot of people to come in and to pull off. And I'm blown away by the number of people who come in and, and volunteer their time during vacation Bible school. I'm blown away that our teenagers come in and they take a whole week Where they could be sitting by the pool or sleeping in. And they come in and they give their time to corral and love the most well-behaved children ever. I won't name names, but there is at least one person that I know. That takes a week's vacation. To come here. And to love on our kids. And if you were to see Ruby on Sunday evenings, you would know the toll that it takes on her. A lot of time, a lot of resources, a lot of effort, a lot of sacrifice. Is it worth it? One of the things that we were praying around VBS and we pray around VBS every year is. We, we pray, God, we don't know what you're doing through this, but we want to be faithful to what you've given us. And we feel like this is a worthy endeavor for us to be involved in. God, we don't know what eternity will look like in light of what may happen at Vacation Bible School. You hear stories of adults who talk about the importance of that and praise the Lord that we know of at least one young man who that week gave his life to Christ. And the question I have is, is it worth it? It's all worth it. What a return on investment. That somebody's. Somebody's soul. Somebody's life is changed forever. In the book of Second Corinthians, at, at this section that we read this morning in chapters eight and nine. Paul is urging the church at Corinth to give that he obviously there had been arrangement. They had pledged that they were going to give and Paul is saying, hey, I'm going to send somebody. They're going to collect the offering and he's urging them to make good on this pledge that they had given. And so we get a keen insight into the early church and their giving. And there's something in 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 chapter 8, verse 9. It just sticks out to me. Paul, as he's encouraging them to give, says this. I'm not speaking this as a command, but as proving through. I'm sorry, wrong verse. Verse 9 in chapter 8. Sorry. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. Now let's pause there. That's the biggest understatement ever. With the father. In heaven. Owns it all. And yet for our sake, he became poor. Not only did he become poor, but he gave himself, he gave everything. He gave his whole life so that you through his poverty might become rich and some may say yes where do i sign up daddy needs a new car is this verse begs the question what is meant by rich so that you may become rich what does that mean for you what does it mean biblically that we're rich Many, many years ago when I was in seminary, I, uh, we were without a youth pastor at the church that Casey and I were going to, and I filled in, and unbeknownst to me, the, uh, the church, the deacons decided to, at the end of the summer, to give me a little bit of money for helping out on Wednesday nights. And as a seminary student, I was, Casey and I were dirt poor. And uh, I mean, the kind of poor where, you know, green beans and rice are dinner. And I'm like, oh, this isn't this doesn't qualify because there's no meat. But that's what we did. So when I got this check, I think it was five hundred dollars. It was like spent spent. We were going out. We we're going out on the town. I was thinking of all these things we're going to do. And then my wife, I'll never forget this on a Sunday night, I think it was, said, Louis, I've been praying And I feel like God wants us to give that money away. And being the godly man that I was, I was like, you know, sweetheart, you were right. Actually, I said, I don't think you heard from God. God doesn't work that way. (laughs) And I was. I was seriously distraught. So much so that in chapel, this must have been a Monday, in chapel on Tuesday, I was sitting in the balcony, still kind of stewing over, she wants to give this money away. I've already spent it in my mind. And I god works in mysterious ways this hasn't happened to me a whole lot but i'm sitting in the chapel i'm sitting in the balcony and up front is a friend of mine he was from africa uh, from nigeria Uh, he was he had come to the united states to play basketball a big tall guy and uh, seemed to have everything together he actually if you were to look at him you would assume he had a lot of money and i just felt that god was impressing me that i needed to give Patrick this money and so then there was this really awkward thing afterwards after chapel where I found him and was I didn't want to insult him by saying hey you look like you need five hundred dollars and he was always this jovial guy and so I said Patrick here's what's happened blah 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 and I don't want to insult you but I just felt led to give you this money and he just started weeping and hugging me his fa- he had learned that his father had passed away the night before and he didn't have money to get back to Africa and it was going to cost five hundred dollars. In that moment, I felt like the richest man in the world. Not because of what I could do, but because of what God did. And I, I, I know that the story that Patrick told was what a great God we serve. He provided a way for me to get to Africa through the faithfulness of Casey, not me. And he's going to kill me for saying this because we've made enough. He thinks we've made enough about it, but Gary gave his kidney to somebody. Sorry. And the goal isn't to make much of Gary But for Joe to say, look at this miracle that God did. At this guy that I serve at this weekend with and we got to know over the years that he would be an exact match and he's old, but they let him give the kidney anyway. Kind of like the Sarah thing. No, I'm teasing. I'm going too far with that. You See. How do we view being rich? How do we view what God is doing? How do we view ourselves? You and I, if you are a believer, if you've put your faith and hope in Christ, then you are a son or daughter of the King of the universe. Let that sink in for a minute. And there are some major implications to that. One of the implications is this, is that you as a son or daughter of the king of the universe, while you are in this world, you are a steward. Of God's possessions. So that while you are here, he's given you gifts, whether it's finances, whether it's spiritual gifts, whether it's talents, whether it's time that he has given you things so that you can steward these gifts, so that you can display your love for God above all else and your love for your neighbor. And because he owns it all. We can be generous. He owns it all. You don't have to hold back. Not only this, but because we're sons and daughters of the king of the universe, he has told us that we have an inheritance in heaven that is beyond anything that we could ever imagine. And oh, yeah, that is for eternity. It never runs out. Some people, you may be shocked to hear this, but I I, I hear this. I've heard this in counseling all the time where I get somebody in their 40s or 50s and Uh, they're struggling along through life and they're kind of angry and they're angry because they're waiting on their parents to die so they can get an inheritance and be okay financially. It's kind of crazy, right? We should not be like that in practically that way. But the other thing is this. We are living generously... As Christians, we should be living generously because our inheritance is given to us when we leave this earth and last forever. And what we are called to do while we are on this earth is to live in an open-handed, free, and generous way. What is motivating the way that you live your life? There was a man that over the course of some years um, at a company that I got to know really well. And uh, one time this man asked me if I could meet him for lunch and I went and met him for lunch and he was just literally at the end of his rope. He was suicidal, um, very, very, very depressed. Big man, strong man, a lot of tears going on. This man earlier in his life had... um, been a drug dealer, had been very successful as a drug dealer, also was using drugs and uh, went to prison, Uh, was saved in prison, and God just drastically changed his life, and so when he got out of prison, he started a ministry where he would go back into prison and he would uh, minister to young men and young women who were following that same trajectory, that same path, and many of them, many of them came to faith, many of them he was able to get help. The Lord used him in these mighty and wonderful ways. In fact, it was amazing that he had this kind of special relationship with some of the judges where they would allow him to go into the jails and sometimes they would even assign kids to come see him and talk to him who were heading down this path of trouble. He really had quite an amazing ministry. And so you may be asking, why in the world... Was he so despondent? Why in the world was he at the end of his rope? He was struggling financially. He was struggling financially. And he had believed a lie that a pastor had told him. And the lie went something like this. If you're doing what you're supposed to be doing for the Lord, then you will be blessed financially and you'll be rich. And so brokenhearted, he felt like that God didn't love him or that he was doing something so wrong that God was withholding financial blessing from him. The tragedy of this story is that God was blessing him in this ministry beyond measure. These kids were turning their lives around. These kids were putting their faith in Christ. He was discipling youth who had been just like he was at some time and who who, thanks be to God, wouldn't have to walk the path that he walked to that extent that he walked it, and yet he was so blinded by what he felt like this word said about being rich. Go to chapter 9 and look at verse 8. Let's start up at verse 6. You can see where this can get twisted, or somebody can use this to twist it around. Now, I say, now, this I say, he who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Verse 8 And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. As it is written, he scattered abroad, he gave to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for the food will supply and multiply your seed. For sowing and for increase in the harvest of your righteousness. And you will be enriched in everything for all liberality, which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. And you see how a pastor could twist these words. You can see it. You'll be enriched in everything for all liberality through which is is through through us is producing a thanksgiving to God. But what I want you to see, brothers and sisters, is that this text is not just talking about money when it's talking about things coming back to us. In fact, when you look at verse eight, you get the point of this text. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. God doesn't promise an abundance for you to lavishly play around with as a reward on this earth. God promises to supply to you so that in your deeds, in your service of loving God and loving others, he will give you what you need so that you can give and pour out and be a conduit of his grace to other people. Whether it's money. Whether it's. Talents. Whether it's your time. He multiplies your seed not for self gain, but for service. Look at verse 11 and 12. Look at verse 12. For the ministry of this service is not only fully supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing through many. Thanksgivings to God because of the proof given by this ministry, they will glorify God for your obedience to your confession of the gospel of Christ and for all liberality of your contribution to and to them and to them all. Is this the kind of richness that you want in your life, that you want to give your life, your time, your talent, your treasure so that others. So that others will glorify God, not because of you, but because God has worked in and through you for his kingdom. You know, it's interesting. In the New Testament, the word for gathering together for fellowship. um, Is a word called koinonia. And when we talk about fellowship, what do you think about? Pavilion Sunday. Do you know that many, many times where this word is used in the New Testament, we won't go through it, but many times in the New Testament when this word is used, it is, it is almost it is a synonym for giving. That they gathered together, that they, they were giving. They were giving. And so what's interesting here is that one of the purposes of us coming together as believers are to be people who are coming together. Giving what we have, giving together, spurring on, encouraging. And so the question, the logical question that you should have, because God is working in your heart, right, is how much should I give? And one of the things that I love um, is that one of the verses I think points out how we should be giving as New Testament Christians one of the things you're not going to get from me is a formula. And that's what we all want. Why do we want a formula? I think we want a formula so that we can try to evade guilt. I don't want to feel guilty, so Lewis, give me a percentage. And if I can just live that way, I can kind of put that over there and live over here. And I don't feel guilty because I've sectioned off my life pretty good. I'm sorry. There's no formula. In fact, I think verse 7 is is a good representation of new testament giving each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart so between you and god not grudgingly or under compulsion for god loves a cheerful giver god loves a giver Who wants to be rich in God. Who wants to be rich in what God has done for him. Who knows how rich they are. Who knows that they are sons and daughters of the king. Who knows the inheritance that is waiting for them. And when we really get this view of God. Then we live open handedly. We live free. We live generously. Giving comes from a willing heart. And you may this morning be saying. Wait, 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 wait. 10%. That's the goal, 10%. God loves a 10% giver. Does it shock you to know that there's no 10% in the New Testament? I may blow your world a little bit more. That scholars have gone back and looked at the Old Testament, that's where we get that 10% tie that comes from the Old Testament. Scholars have gone back and looked at all of the tithes that were uh, put on God's people in the Old Testament. And people vary, so, but most scholars believe that it's between the, the tithe, so if, if you existed back in the Old Testament, one of God's people, that the, the actual price tag on a tithe would be somewhere between 20 and 30%. Now, we are not under that covenant. Some of you just went, whew, amen. We're not under that covenant. This was the old covenant, the sacrificial system with the priests and the Levites. And Christ came and He died upon the cross, giving us direct access to God. Galatians and Romans says that we are living in a new and a better covenant. We have direct access to God. The people of the Old Testament would be. Dying to be in our position. Christ came. He tore the curtain. He is ours. We are his. He is our Heavenly Father. We are living in communion with him. What should our giving be? The New Covenant's better. (laughs) Now. I do think we can. I do think. Although we're not under the Old Covenant. I do think we can take some good lessons. From what we see in God's character. In relating to his people. In giving. That we see in the Old Testament. And one of them is this. That God says when we give, we are to give of our first fruits. That was the first part of the harvest. In other words, we're not supposed to kind of wait to see how the week goes to then decide whether or not we're going to give because that doesn't show faith and trust in God. That doesn't show that God is our supply and we're trusting Him for all that we have and we're just being stewards of what's His. And so I think it's an important principle for us to wrestle with that we should be giving of the first fruits. And I do think, I do think there is value in this idea of wrestling with setting something aside. Again, that's between you and the Lord. That's in your heart and it should be done cheerfully, not out of obligation or of guilt. But I do think just as a general rule and a principle that you should wrestle with that. I know a lot of families, what they do is they sit down and they say, all right, first fruits and we're going to give 10 percent right off the top. We're going to we're going to give that first. This is what we're doing. Um, A lot of families that I know that I've talked to about this and how they do this. I don't know. That's an uncomfortable conversation. I'm not going to ask you today at lunch how you do it, but. One of the one of the things that I like, one of the things that we've practiced in our life is that we immediately that is the that is the bare minimum. And then we try to live in a way to where we are open handed with the rest of what we get. And so supporting missionaries, supporting local missions, being able to just give if we find somebody that's in need, being free to do that. We want Single Mountain Bible Church. I want for you to be the kind of person who is living a life, stewarding what God has given you, meaning that you are trying to live in a way that is free, and yes, I think that means minimizing and eliminating debt so that you're not beholden to something else. So as God calls you, you can can give. You can be a giver. Another family that I heard of, and this is interesting, every dollar that they spend above necessity in their home they also give to the church. And it's kind of wrapped more around kind of like entertainment. So if they go out for a nice dinner and a ball game and spend $100, then that $100 goes to entertainment, $100 goes to church. If the, the, the wife, and you know how I feel about this, but the man goes and gets a pedicure, that $15 there, $15 goes to the church. That's what my wife tells me pedicures cost. I don't want to know any different. But they, you know, any special food they buy in the house, any sporting events, any that they kind of match that. And I'm like, well, that's kind of a nice way to look at it. The key is, is that this is between you and the Lord. It's between you and the Lord. And what I wanted to really get at today is that it shouldn't be a guilt ridden, begrudging, compulsory giving. But we are to look to God, we are to see him as he is, and we are to be the kind of people who give. It's what this life is for, for us loving God and loving others with all that we have. Another question that might arise and that I've already kind of answered is, where should you give? And the pattern of the New Testament is that believers came together, as I said a moment ago, and they pulled their money, they pulled their resources and they give. The Bible does talk about supporting The elder who is in charge of preaching and teaching. But thank the Lord that we are able to support other things. Like Vacation Bible School. Like local missions. Like some of our global missionaries. Celebrate Recovery. Stephen Ministry. One of of my favorite times. It hasn't happened so much over the past couple years. But... um, There were several years, about four or five years ago, pre-COVID, where there was an excess of money over the budget. And one of the greatest things as elders was deciding where to just give that money. The thing that I love about being in the elder room is when we, particularly from a missionary, get a need that, hey, this is out there, and we just say, yes. And and it's funny, because sometimes missionaries want to like then just, we're like, no, 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 yes, have it. We love you. We want to bless you. Now, this sermon could change your life. Not me, not my words, but God and His words. If you become the kind of person this cheerful giver, it'll change your life. And we all kind of have this in us. Because I want to give you this experiment that I know has probably happened to all of you, and that is um, many, many times when we're driving down the road, Flannery's in the car with us, a lot of times getting off, taking the boys to school, there will be somebody in need, needing money. And do you know what my daughter's first impulse is? To look around and say, what do we have to give? When the boys were little and we were talking about uh, bringing uh, a child into our home, uh, foster care. You know, I think Casey and I were thinking through this very complicated. And we thought about, you know, how difficult and they may have all these questions. But you know what my boys' reaction were? You mean there's kids that don't have parents? Yes, you bring them into your home. (laughs) This is how we're supposed to be as God's people. It's how we're supposed to be as God's people. There's a need. Somebody needs to be loved. There's another church that needs help. Yes. 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 So our prayer today is that all of us would be the kind of generous, loving, free hearted, giving people that God has created us to be. I pray that your heart, your heart, that God and his word. And the greatness of his son would so enrich your life. That your treasure becomes him and his glory. Which means with these earthly possessions, we live like this because we have this. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we can't even begin to thank you for the gift of your son. God, it's my prayer that we continuously become generous people, not for the sake of the financial health of Signal Mountain Bible Church, But for the sake of our health, because it's the kind of people that you have called us to be and how we think about money and riches in this world reveals where our heart is. God, I thank you for this church. This is a generous, generous church. God, I pray that you would continue to supply time, talent and treasure. To the people of this church. So that it can be spent for your glory. We thank you, Lord. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.